All right. Thanks, Francis. I noticed in the um, kid minute today, I've heard, oh, I've heard sermons on that, that particular passage, passage from scripture uh, so many times. It's annoying. But today I noticed something new, fresh, and interesting. Jesus called them the people like better than birds, which is a kind of a diss to the birds, right? But then at the end, he calls the people little flock. So the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the Lord. So I'm going to tear up my sermon today and give a sermon on Luke 6. Just kidding. Um, the closer I get to retirement, um, the goofier I get. Uh, and, and also, uh, the matter of identity looms. You know, how much of my identity is rooted in my career or my job? How, how am I going to handle uh, the adjustment? Any of you have been approaching uh, retirement, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and lately, I've been drawn to some ancient wisdom signaling identity as a divine and a human mystery. Two portions from uh, scripture convey this. The first is in um, the book of Exodus. I think it's chapter chapter three, it might be chapter two, but it's the um, revelation of one of the divine names uh, when Moses uh, inquires of the uh, burning bush, the bush that's burning but not being consumed by the fire, and it interacts with the bush uh, over a number of things. And towards the end, uh, Moses says, well, what is your name? Tell me what your name is so I can tell the Israelites who sent me. And the reply um, was a name regarded as so sacred in Israel that there was actually a taboo about speaking it aloud. And as a result, um, some think the pronunciation of the name got lost because the um, the vowels are not are, are not are inferred in the um, in the Hebrew. So the, the name is also called the tetragrammaton, which is I think is a very cool term. I just learned recently. Well, what does tetragrammaton mean? Tetra is four, and grammaton is letters. Duh. So the tetragrammaton, this divine name, is composed of four consonants, and in English, those four letters are rendered Y H W H. Uh, scholars think this actually was the designation of a local storm deity before the people of Israel uh, transformed it. So the meaning of the name in Hebrew is mystical. It's certainly mysterious. Jonathan Sachs, who was the chief rabbi in the UK until his death in uh, 2020, says this about the proper translation of the name. Non-Jewish translations read this to mean I am what or who or that I am, Sachs says. Uh, some render, render it I am, that is who I am, or I am the one who is. These are deeply significant mistranslations, Rabbi Sachs writes. The phrase means literally, I will be what I will be, or more fundamentally, God's name belongs to the future tense. His call is to that which is not yet. If we fail to understand this, we will miss the very thing that makes Judaism unique, end of quote. So I will be what I will be um, is the name of a God of becoming, not just a God of being. Um, often people think of uh, God as the ground of all being, but God is also the ground of all becoming. So Rabbi Sachs sees this as like a divine 
accommodation to our being creatures in time uh, with a past, present, future frame. We cannot help but experience life in those terms. Uh, the divine name signifies a being who enters our frame as well as standing beyond it. So Rabbi, Rabbi Sachs goes on to describe how the Hebrew Bible um, seems to like to keep us hanging about what happens next. God calls Abraham to go to a land that I will show you. It doesn't even tell him where he's going. Off, off Abraham goes into this unknown future. Moses uh, leads the people to the edge of the promised land, but Moses himself doesn't go there with them. Um, in the Jesus tradition that is arising out of ancient Judaism, Jesus is portrayed as the coming Messiah, a figure that was uh, at that time associated with the end of days. But after Jesus rises from the dead, which is a key feature of the end of days, we're all left waiting for a second coming. So we're always in this space between a known present and an unknown future. I will be who I will be is the God who is with us on that precipice between being and becoming. So my brother-in-law retired last year, my brother-in-law Bill, um, so I asked him for a little, um, you know, pre-retirement um, advice, like how, how am I gonna do when the day actually arrives for me? And Bill said, uh, do you remember the 1980s group, The Godfathers? I'm like, no, I was totally tuned out of pop culture in the 1980s, longer story. Um, well, Bill says, well, they have a great song about retirement. I'm like, oh good, what, what's it called? He says, birth, school, work death <laughs> so bill is the master of the sardonic um so retirement or losing a, often a second parent or hitting a milestone like 70 um, really does make it harder to distract yourself from the knowledge that your days are numbered uh, but psalms in the wisdom writing says this uh, actually is the key to wisdom this this first actually i learned uh was one of my mother's favorite uh, Bible verses, and I didn't even know she had a uh, favorite Bible verse, but it goes, I think it's from Psalm 80 something, Lord, teach me to number my days that I may walk before you in the way of wisdom. So I'm not gonna pretend for me, um, retirement does feel like an epic transition. Uh, pastoring is one of those careers. There are many others that confer a sense of identity, like a, this is who I am feeling. And we've all gone or will go through transitions that uh, also feel epic because they uh, affect our sense of identity. For me, there's something really consoling about a God who unveils themselves as I will be who I will be. Like, yes, me too. I will be who I will be. There are uh, many divine names, of course, but this one has to do with identity, I think, as a mystery, which in the ancient understanding of mystery refers to something to be unveiled rather than something readily apparent. So I will be who I will be suggests we don't just express or assert ourselves, we also discover ourselves. Um, so identity isn't static, it's a, it's a quality of living things, and thus it's dynamic. So when the voice came from the burning bush, when Moses asked, who are you, what's your name, replied, I will be who I will be, Moses, I imagine, uh, must have sensed 
both the strangeness, the otherness of the voice, but also its uh, kinship with Moses. Because Moses at the time was on the cusp also of an epic transition from privileged Egyptian prince to Hebrew of Hebrews, identified with an enslaved people. At this point in his life, Moses' identity must have felt to him very much in flux, up for grabs, a, a to-be-determined or discovered thing. So as a very young dad, I, I wanted to be a good one. Uh, I, and that, for me, meant I wanted to be involved and I wanted to be guiding my child. I, I was so eager to do parenting right. Uh, what I wish I had known then, um, and I don't think there was any way I could have known this at, at that age, but what I wish I had known then is that every person comes into this world saying, in effect, I will be who I will be. Yes, there are aspects of identity that we pass on to our children, but the core of identity is theirs to discover and then reveal to us. So their job is to say, this is who I am, and our job is to receive that. And if we want to be a blessing to our children, to find ways to delight in that. So Genesis 1 gets the ball of creation rolling with a word of permission. Let there be light. Let the sea creatures swarm. Let the earth bring forth crawling things, and then the light, the sea creatures, the crawling things present themselves. And God beholds who or what they are and only then says, that's good. In other words, God waits for the creation to reveal itself and then delights in it. God doesn't tell the first humans in, uh, what is it, Genesis 2, who fits him as a partner. The first human tells God who it is that fits him. So this is like a little parenting help for us, isn't it? I, I was affected last week by attending a Zoom, um, via Zoom, a naming ceremony for a friend of mine who I'd never actually met in person, uh, but who played a key role helping me respond to online criticism after I uh, published that book that got some people's dander up. And so um, I feel a real meaningful connection to this person, even though we haven't met in person. And this friend, like I said, was having a naming ceremony to celebrate uh, through much struggle, coming to understand themselves as a woman, a different identity than was assigned at birth. And I was really curious about what text um, they would be using in the ceremony. And, and the text that was the centerpiece uh, was from the book of Revelation, one that Avery read this morning, a book whose name in Greek is uh, Apocalypse, uh, which means the unveiling of something secret or hidden. It's, it's an amazing portion from uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation was written by someone named John, but not the John of the Gospels. Um, this John was part of a Jewish community in the diaspora, meaning spread throughout the Roman Empire outside the land of Israel. And, and um, he was probably from a community uh, within ancient Judaism that was most likely uh, mystical as well as Torah observance. So we see concern for the observance of ritual purity and Israel food laws you know, um, emphasized in the book of Revelation. So John was also writing in a time of great upheaval, violence, and trauma. 
Uh, Jerusalem had been sacked by this time. Its temple had been destroyed, which would have been a shock to the Jewish people throughout the diaspora. A Jewish revolts had broken out against Rome in the diaspora. And you can see the effects of all this in the use of violent imagery that is uh, so much part of the book of Revelation. It's, it's as though the seer is like working out his people's experience of trauma. But tucked away in this nearly incomprehensible book, uh, Revelation barely made it into the list of approved writings in whatever it was, the fourth century, and over uh, many objections, actually. Um, but in the middle of this book, we find this gem very much connected to the unveiling of identity, such as we have in the divine name revealed to Moses, I will be who I will be. And it goes like this. I'll read it again. This is Revelation 2.17. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give, and the I there is the risen Jesus speaking through the seer. To everyone who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone. And on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Um, when I was studying this, um, came up with a surprising, this, this was from the New American Catholic uh, translation actually, uses the term amulet rather than stone. So amulets are uh, objects thought to confer protection uh, to the wearer. They're, they're actually more associated with magic um, than anything else. And, but in the ancient Near East, um, often stones conferring a name um, was, uh, were, were um, the way amulets uh, came. And, and this was also very popular in ancient Judaism during this period as well. So tradition held that when Israel was in the wilderness, uh, manna came from heaven, you know, and it was described as white, like coriander seed, along with precious gems. So the, the tradition was that if manna was coming from heaven, along with these precious stones, these precious gems. So in Revelation 2.17, it's hidden manna, along with a white stone or amulet with a new name also hidden from uh but it's hidden from everyone but the one who receives the stone and the one who gives the stone so in the book of revelation uh, which pictures um, toward the end a, a, a renewed and transformed city that doesn't have a temple so it's obvious it's written after the temple in jerusalem has been destroyed. Um, and the picture there in Revelation 2 of this, this name is called from the throne at the center of the city, and only one person recognizes it, the person whose name it is. We, we could think of it as like a term of endearment that might only be known to lovers and not others because it's only used between them in private. The amulet translation suggests that our identity includes aspects that need unveiling uh, to ourselves as much as to others, and, and also that need protection. Um, and that this unveiling of identity is holy, and that's something that does need to be protected. Remember, um, the, the sacred temple had been destroyed, and there was a, that was just a horror to the 
Jewish people and sacred things, holy things need to be protected from hostile outside forces. So it's something out of the reach of those whose knowledge of us is distorted by their own projections and by their own prejudice. This is, this is so important, isn't it, in a time such as we find ourselves in, where, where so many identities, often the most vulnerable, tender identities are being targeted or under assault. So out, out in the diaspora, where this was written from within this mystical Jewish community following a new Messiah figure, the members of that community must have felt of the vulnerability of their identity and might have been powerfully consoled by the picture of their identity being protected in this way. Think how much this would have meant um, in a traditional ancient culture where so much of identity is static, is communally determined, with so much assigned at birth, one's occupation, social class, and the rest. I mean, how many women in the ancient world could avoid becoming mothers if they didn't want to become mothers? Uh, how much opportunity was there for a person to say, actually, this is who I am, let alone, this is who I am becoming? After I uh, married a second time, uh, my then adult kids started referring to me as Dad 2.0 because they were noticing that aspects of my personality that were not highlighted before were uh, highlighted now. Like, you know, different occupations, different friends, different partners bring different aspects of our personality out of us, don't they? Uh, trivial example, my late wife, Nancy's dad, uh, Stan, was like Mr. Fix-It. He could fix anything. And she was pretty handy herself. So I was a bit of a disappointment in this department to, uh, to Nancy. My skills uh, paled in comparison to what she was used to. Um, and then to my surprise, uh, Julia was super impressed when I fixed like the simplest things around the house, like fixing the toilet, which I, you know, after 30 years, I kindly figured out how to do. Um, the praise, was uh, embarrassingly motivating to me. So I tackled uh, more projects and this time with YouTube videos. And now I'm like, I I I've got game. You know, like I, I can fix stuff. I think uh, losing a parent, especially in my experience, losing a second parent, um, losing a spouse through death or divorce, uh, losing a job, moving to a very different location all these things can be an identity jolt. Um, I think back to an identity transition I underwent after my second parent died. I'm, I'm uh, 47 at the time. I know what I'm going to be when I grow up because I've been that for over 20 years by this time. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this earlier. I was uh, experimenting with silence as a way of praying for the first time in my life. And, you know, silence is a way to pray. It sounds way cooler than what it feels like at first when silence is mainly a chance to become aware of the noise in your head and all you want to do is reach for your phone. But I remember this um, rare moment. I, I remember it vividly years later. I remember the room of the house. It was uh, painted yellow. I remember the time of day. It was early afternoon sun was shining um and in that um 
experimenting with uh, silence, I, I had this surprise moment. Maybe it was a minute, maybe it was three minutes, I don't know. A little spell of inner stillness came over me. And out of that stillness, I heard inside my head the most surprising words from what I took to be the spirit inside me saying, Ken, meet Ken. It, it was it was a little startling, like, what the hey, you know, Ken, meet Ken, but it was also e extremely intimate. It was maybe uh, four or five years before I mentioned that experience to another living soul. I, I felt too shy or, or even embarrassed uh, to mention it. So what do I make of it now? Well, it does mean something to me now, but that, that meaning is, it, number one, it's private, and it's more a feeling than it is a word-based thing. And the one thing I can say is that this sense of discovery, not of being told who one is, but of discovering for oneself, like being introduced to oneself by something beyond outside voices, is a mysterious and a very good thing. Um, as is the divine name that means I will be who I will be. So um, I thought today I would, um, rather than actually um, guiding a time of meditation, I'd suggest a practice that you can try later if you like. And the suggestion is that you uh, keep your eye out for a stone, like a holdable uh, size stone something that for whatever reason appeals to you or maybe you already have one or it could be some other object that's uh, meaningful to you um, actually um, might be a picture of you when you were a child that gives you a, a sense of yourself that's um, that's kind of uh, meaningful and maybe even a little fresh to you and when you're in the mood in a setting that's pleasing that's you know comfortable uh, setting that uh, appeals to you, um, you could take hold of that stone or that object and imagine that it contains letters that convey an aspect of your identity that is emerging, that is to be unveiled to you, or perhaps that's like known to you, but it feels a bit like a secret to you, like a, a private thing. And you could, if you wanted to, you could um, bring that stone or object to your chest and if it helps, you could say, I will be who I will be as, as a kind of a meditative um, repeated phrase, or perhaps uh, I am known by God, loved by God, and liked by God, or whatever else comes to you. Um, you could take a little time to relax into that and then uh, see what happens, see how it feels. Okay, well, let's turn it over to uh, what's happening next.